Hi, Julie. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, just to kind of welcome our listeners, this is Sarah Terwilliger, my colleague that I am working with uh, in our virtual online eating disorder caregiver group. And today is actually episode five of my podcast, uh, Julie Clark Podcast, um, and episode two with Sarah who uh, she and I are going to be recording some, a little series about eating disorders to give you a sneak peek and a glimpse of what our virtual group looks like and also to provide information for listeners about eating disorders. So Sarah, just to recap, she's uh, both a registered nurse and a registered psychotherapist here in Ontario. And as mentioned, we're facilitating our new virtual eating disorder caregiving caregiver group, which is currently running. Uh, And we're planning to run another one in the spring. So if you're interested, please check out the application process, more information on my website, uh, Julie Clark, and that's Clark with an E, therapy.com. And on the website to the right, you can click on eating disorder group for more information. And so Sarah, she's been working with youth, adolescents and their families who have been struggling with an eating disorder for about eight years. She's worked in several hospital-based programs for youth living with mental illness. And one of those hospitals was where she and I met. And Sarah has a thorough understanding of eating disorders and is passionate about this disorder and helping families. She's committed to helping caregivers and families gain a sense of knowledge and understanding of the illness to help them cope and return to a life free from the eating disorder. And you can connect with Sarah through her website at sarahterwilliger.com. And Terwilliger is spelled T-E-R-W-I-L-L-I-G-A-R, terwilliger.com. And as mentioned, today is uh, today's podcast is the second of our series, and Sarah and I will be discussing diagnosis and non-diagnosed eating issues. So how's your week been, Sarah? Good, thanks. How's yours, Julie? It's good. We're getting, it's kind of cold. <laughs> we're getting, uh, well, it's a very cold spring, so we're getting some winter temperatures here, and I mean, I, I can't say I'm enjoying it all that much. What about you? Yeah, we had uh, a snow. We had snowfall today for the first time in a long time. Oh wow! Uh, On yeah, it, April sixth. April sixth. I know. I can't <laughs> it. It really, it's not really spring yet. No. And I just wanted to, uh, before we really get into things, I, I, it's important to me that our listeners know that as therapists, you and I take something that is out there in the world that we know as self-care really seriously. And so I wondered if um, you would be willing to share something that you did for yourself this week as a self-care, whether it was a ritual or it was a one-off, I just needed to do this for me and and what that would be. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm someone, and and I'll just share this with everyone, like I I'm someone who initially was doubtful about self-care in very beginning stages of my training and a little bit resistant to it. And I think that's really common. And so I've, you know, there are times where I still have to force myself to do self-care 
and make time for me. Um, and I've, I, I definitely enjoy it now and it's become part of my routine, but, uh, mm -hmm. the one thing that I have been enjoying in the last couple of months is doing, um, yoga online. Mm -hmm. So I did, uh, get a YouTube video off online and I do it in my home and, um, yeah, it's, I'm finding it very helpful, uh, a very helpful self-care practice for me, especially when I'm, I'm very stressed, but also just ongoing to help prevent that as well. Yeah, and you and I have that in common. I too have a home-based yoga practice that I do as well. And it's, it's for me, it's been uh, sort of, and to touch on what you said, it is something that has now become routine for you. And that's really important. And um, then reaping the benefits of that regular practice, whatever that is, you know, it could be. And, and what I was going to add for me is I've been very conscious in the last several weeks to if I'm having, you know, I have to be out of the house early. I'm making sure that I'm waking up in enough time that I'm getting a nice full breakfast. That's really important for me. And so, uh, you know, if you were to Google self-care, you might get all these ideas of things to do, but also making time for myself and making sure I have a good nutritious breakfast that I can start my day off is, is really important rather than grab that quick something that isn't going to sustain me, you know, for, for the time and, and the energy and what I need. And so, yeah, it's really important to, to kind of just put that out there, especially for our listeners who are kind of coming together and, you know, gaining some information around eating disorders. And, and I just realized my self-care was around eating and I didn't even plan that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to be able to share that. So thank you, Sarah. Mm. Uh, so last week we talked about eating disorders and why someone would be seeking care in hospital. I'm just going to summarize a little bit. And so why someone would be seeking care in hospital, either in in or outpatient clinics. Uh, so for listeners, this is podcast number four on my website. We also talked about how the eating disorder illness can get to a level of requiring around-the-clock care and medical intervention. And so through today's podcast topic, we'll get into that a little bit more and get some, uh, provide some clarity. We also discussed social media and the comparative nature with photoshopped photos, as well as how social media has the power to create a set of norms that are just not realistic these norms lead to language we use when speaking to ourselves and in our uh, communication with others. We spoke about a spectrum, where does an eating disorder start and how there are many factors, almost a perfect storm of things that can turn into a full-blown eating disorder diagnosis. And again, we're going to get into that some more today. One poignant piece was ending the question asking yourself, do you accept you for you? Do you accept your own body and noticing how our body image for ourselves and ideas of what that is, what that looks like, can lead to sense of self and decrease overall self-esteem. Um, I also note that a great piece was written that landed in my inbox as we were publishing podcast number four that I included in a link to the podcast on my uh, business Facebook page. There's a link to my Facebook page from my website, julieclarktherapy.com. So go have a look there. It's about a woman and how she communicates with her daughter. And I thought it was really uh, appropriate. So today we're going to, as mentioned, discuss uh, diagnosis and non-diagnosed eating issues. And so, Sarah, can you just give us a bit of a sort of that idea, that continuum of disordered eating and some of the 
I guess just some of the information that's out there to help contextualize that for our listeners. Yeah, and I think that last podcast kind of flows really nicely into this one, um, or at least this topic, because um, I kind I look at you know we can say spectrum, we can call it a continuum, but um, this continuum of disordered eating, you know, where it starts, kind of where how it goes and where it progresses. And so that's the way I look at things um, kind of on that continuum. So in the beginning, you know, I would, I, I would say that that's where there's healthy weight, you know, healthy eating, uh, proper exercise and a, a healthy body image. So that would be on one end of the continuum. And then um, the other end of the continuum would be where the diagnosis are. Um, and those would be, you know, anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, um, binge eating disorder, uh, other specified feeding or eating disorders, um, and ARFID, which is another um, eating disorder on, over in, on that end. And so I think when you look at those two ends of the continuum, the disordered eating moving towards the eating disorder, there's, there's so many different places that it could fall and so some of them in the in the beginning would be you know probably um dieting or yo-yo dieting some would call it striving for perfection you know starting to use laxatives um maybe purging maybe binging maybe excessive exercise um fasting you know there's there could be so many things that would fall along that continuum. And so I think it's important to recognize that there's, it's not a one, one size fits all. Everybody's unique. Everyone's different. And the way that it presents may be different as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to keep in mind when we're, we're looking at disordered eating. Um, and then the difference of that compared to an eating disorder. Yeah. And just to clarify, you mentioned uh, what I know as a therapist, a number of actual diagnostic uh, labels, I guess you could say. And so I wondered if we could just come back to that just for a very brief moment and help our listeners understand how does one, first of all, where do those labels come from? And two, how does one, how does one have that diagnosis? Mm -hmm. I think the common eating disorders that that most most people are aware of, such as anorexia and mm -hmm. I think um, so when you're looking at anorexia, that's restrictive in nature, although there are different subtypes, so to speak, where um, anorexia may be involved with bulimia. Um, so that's anorexia nervosa binge purge subtype. And so there's all these technical diagnosis terms, um, but anorexia is typically associated with restriction, whether that's food um, or over-exercising or over-laxative use. Um, bulimia is often associated with uh, purging or laxative use, um, purging the food of any way out of the body. Um, and then there's binge eating disorder, um, which is associated with like binging of food. Um, that one's pretty self-explanatory. Then there's ARFID, which is acute food 
acute restrictive food intake disorder, um, which is often associated with people who um, struggle with certain types of food, but may not uh, may not have the body image disturbance that mm -hmm. seen in anorexia, mm -hmm. and then um, other specified feeding or um, eating disorders would um, would kind of classify anyone who's not um, falling into the other categories or may may not meet all of the criteria for diagnosis. And so all of those dis diagnosis, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you would get that through a physician or a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and they are all come, they all come from the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual. Mm -hmm. And so there are criteria that you do have to meet in, in, in order to obtain that diagnosis. But like I said, not everyone may meet a criteria for anorexia, but still would have an eating disorder and may, may obtain a diagnosis of Ofsted. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that's not within my scope of practice to diagnose. Um, right. That is yeah. not, you know, part of what I do. Uh, but I, I yeah. think it's important to understand that there is that spectrum, even of the yes. anorexia may not always look like what someone expects it to look like. There may be other issues. Bulimia is the same thing. It may not always, you know, look the same as, as perhaps that stigma that someone would have. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, that's where, that's a little bit about the diagnosis mm -hmm. part. Um, and it, I do think it's important for us all, especially anyone who's working with someone with an eating disorder to understand the differences and, and be aware of them. Yeah. And to, you know, not to put a lot of emphasis on the diagnosis, the purpose for today is to help educate people that there, you know, there are these subtypes that you talk about. Um, you know, it's also really interesting too, because there is, I think the ARFID that, and I I'm pretty sure that's a new addition to the diagnostic, the DSM in terms of diagnosis. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But my point is that I like how you differentiated that that one in particular is not related to body image disturbance, whereas something like anorexia most commonly is. And, um, you know, so for people who, like you said, are most familiar with anorexia, bulimia, that they know that there are these subtypes types that exist as well. And so if there is something that for parents, caregivers, or even for young adults, just noticing that, you know, I don't like, I'm just thinking like white creamy stuff, you know, there might be a consistency around specific colors, specific texture, that these are all forms of, um, something that could fall into that category that could fit an actual diagnosis, but they also will also be a disturbance around just getting the nutrition or the intake and a variety of different vitamins and all of the wonderful nutrients that we get from our food and realizing that, you know, if it's excessive, then we have to look at and seek guidance and support around that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so Again, the DSM you mentioned is the Diagnostical and Statistic Manual that is used by here in Canada physicians and psychiatrists in order to do the diagnosis. For those of you listening from the U.S., I'm, I'm not clear who could give a diagnosis for an eating disorder. I know that in uh, a licensed mental health provider 
in some states do have the ability to diagnose. And so just be aware of that as you're listening to this, that we're coming from that context of our Canadian uh, healthcare system. And so I said that I didn't want to put too much emphasis on the diagnosis. And I think, Sarah, you'll agree that it's not necessary to be educated about some of these things to have the diagnosis to move forward. Yeah. With seeking help. Yeah. Yeah. And I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, the non-diagnosed eating issues and in your experience, what that may look like. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's very normal. Like I, I touched on in our, in the first series of the podcast that there's many in within at least Canada, right. I'll speak to our society here. Um, and mm-hmm. what I see here is that it's very common for people to have um, body image, like a negative body image, um, maybe engage in a lot of dieting. And they may have that without having disordered eating. And so it really is a person to person, individual thing where it's assessing what is the issue and how, you know, how bad is it at that time? Because I think it is really normal um, that a lot of people have issues. Um, it's just, are those issues um, disrupting your life? Are mm-hmm. interrupting you from social settings? Um, you know, are you preoccupied with your weight and shape? You know, are you all constantly dieting? And it, it would be very difficult to sum that up in over a podcast, right? So it it is an individual basis. If you are concerned at any point, I always would, you know, recommend someone to seek help, even if it is just a negative sense of, of body image and sense of self where you're not happy with who you are. I think um, it doesn't need to be an eating disorder to seek help um, Mm -hmm. ordered eating. And there's, there's Mm -hmm. always place and room to, to heal and so I think that's really important to mention. And then mm-hmm. I think there's another, you know, kind of building on last week, there's a, a common, common language, I guess, if you will, that I, I often hear people say, and it's, oh, um, it's just a phase. This is just a phase. Mm-hmm. They, they may suspect someone has an eating disorder um, and they may say something like, oh, it's just a phase, she'll get over it. And so I think it's important that we understand that piece. If, if you are really concerned that someone has disordered eating or, you know, may have more of those uh, symptoms, if you will, that I was mentioning earlier that are on the chemo, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if someone is fasting often or binging or purging or using laxatives and dieting all the time and has a preoccupation with their weight and shape, then maybe they do have a like are leading towards Mm -hmm. eating disorder and and do need help um but i think that having an expectation that this will people will grow out of this is a little unrealistic um because these these aren't issues that typically go away Mm -hmm. unless you've worked through those issues yourself or with Mm -hmm. supporting you through that So just to recap the continuum that you spoke about earlier, you were talking about the yo-yo dieting, striving for perfection, Mm -hmm. laxatives, steroids, purging, excessive exercise, those things, right? You know, and the the healthy body image on one end. So, you know, if you have a really 
negative body image um, combined with something else like yo-yo dieting all the time and that's interrupting mm -hmm. and disrupting your life to a point mm -hmm. where um, you're you're very unhappy um, or it's you know taking up a lot of your time then I would then I would say that you know and I, I'm not I'm not here to diagnose but mm -hmm. it sound that to me sounds like um, it it would lead to a lot of unhappiness and um, you know seeking support would be beneficial well, and also taking in last, uh, the first podcast, the language that and the messages that are out there that are being observed and taken in by someone who has a low self-esteem together with, you know, that striving for perfection or seeing that. So the language is a big piece of this because it adds to that continuum. And when you say, you know, it really is important to not see it just as a phase I think that also uh, realizing that in your experience, you've seen that it is tricky to identify an eating disorder and that there are some doctors that miss diagnosing it, not because they're not competent, but because the, the signs and the symptoms can mirror and mask either something else or it can resemble something else in the early stages. And so I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, and I... I always go back to if you are worried, you know, continue to seek support until you've gotten the support that you need. As mm -hmm. if you have a feeling or you are worried about someone or yourself um, that may be struggling with with disordered eating or, um, you know, a disturbed body image or a negative sense of who you are that's affecting um, your food intake you know, or you suspect someone has an eating disorder, then I, you know, sometimes people misdiagnose and they do not understand the signs to recognize. And so if, if you are worried, my recommendation is to continue seeking support until you've gotten that, that help. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And if that means seeing someone who um, is a specialist or who understands eating disorders, from my experience, there are many people within the health professional, like within health professionals that are very qualified, very competent people who may not have a great understanding of eating disorders. And so mm -hmm. symptoms and um, issues may go unaddressed. Yeah. And then, like you say, sort of listening to your body trusting your intuition as the caregiver, as the parent to whoever is before you, uh, the noticing the skipping of the meals or the leaving at the table after a meal has been consumed or just little things that day to day just strike you as a bit odd that maybe weren't happening before or mm -hmm. through education and information and noticing, you know, if in the case of someone who is restricting calories, noticing that weight's dropping and it's inconsistent with uh, a youth who's moving through puberty and, and their body's changing and um, that's, you know, they're not maybe looking quite as healthy as they had been before. So mm -hmm. just trusting your intuition that going and seeking advice from a medical practitioner who, like you say, some individuals have more specialized training than others and not stopping until you make that connection that helps your worries 
you know, so that you feel like you're being heard, but also helps your worries to diminish a little bit and feel like uh, there's care there for you or some understanding anyways. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I guess on the flip side of that, what are, what are the ramifications of not, or what are the consequences for not trusting your instinct? Do you, do you think? Yeah. And I'm glad you asked that because I actually wanted to contribute to what you were saying. And um, it, it falls in line with that is, you know, I haven't touched on the severity um, and the mortality rates associated with this illness. And so I think that, you know, going back to what I said about um, kind of uh, they'll get over this, they'll grow out of this. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the consequence or, you know, if it does turn into or is a very serious eating disorder, um, we know that it's associated with very high mortality rates, eating disorders are. And so the severity can be, it's life-threatening at times. And so I think remembering that is very important to seeking support. Um, And what I often, I think is important to say is if you're worried about someone and you see, you start seeing those signs like you you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, and and your loved one or doesn't want to go get support, you know, go yourself, mm-hmm. seek that support yourself, whether you're the caregiver, you're a parent. And because there are things that you can do, there is language that you can use and maybe try new techniques um, that will help them. And maybe there's some small changes in the household that you can do, you know, early on to prevent the illness from progressing. Right. And if I think if we are preventative and catch the illness early, it's less likely to evolve into something of such severity that may not be the case sometimes, but I think, you know, trying early on in the early stages of the illness before the eating disorder has gotten its grip or uh, a person has lost so much weight is, is much more effective if we can, if we can help support them in that early on stage. And so that, I think that's the best advice is often we see youth who don't want to, who don't want to get help or, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, part of the eating disorder. It, it doesn't allow them to recognize that something's wrong and they, they may not want help for the illness. And so mm-hmm. if that's the case, or they do not want to come for counseling or support, I, I highly recommend parents and caregivers to seek support themselves um, mm-hmm. for what they can do to help. Mm-hmm. Well, and you just helped me realize too that a lot, like even in private practice, one of the very first questions that I ask families who contact me, a parent or a caregiver, I'll say, does, you know, quote unquote, Johnny want, want to see someone? And, and, you know, if they say no, my suggestion is, so you guys come in for support yourselves or you and we'll see if that can change things around. It may not, but I won't see the youth if they're not interested in, in seeking counseling, but sort of on par with what you're saying, you're saying like the eating disorder sometimes can be so strong. The thoughts can be so strong that they're not coming from a healthy place when they say no, it really is that perpetual, no, you know, this is me being better by restricting food, you know, and it's just this sort of slippery slope. And so by a parent or a caregiver seeking help for themselves, it can help them to realize that it's not just, okay, I need to back off and, you know, allow my youth to, to make their own decisions. It really is more the opposite where you need to come in and, 
begin to support and know how to do that. So I see that as one of the main advantages as well as that self-care piece and understanding how to care for someone that, that is unwell. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle because um, I, I love this analogy about self-care, but you know, if you're in an airplane and the oxygen masks come down, they always say, put yours on first before you can help someone else. And that Mm -hmm. way I see self-care is, Unless, if you're not well, you know, how you won't be able to get to give to others in the way that you may be able to if you were well. So mm-hmm. seeking that help yourself mm-hmm. can be very beneficial, even if it is just about coping and how you're, mm-hmm. how you're getting through this difficult time. Mm-hmm. And just a practical example of that, I'm just envisioning as a parent being really frustrated that you know, I'm putting food in front of my child and they're not eating yet. They say they're hungry. And that's, you know, that's the kind of support, like working through and talking to someone about how frustrating that is for you, that something that would for all intents and purposes be an easy thing to do, which is to eat. But in, in dealing with eating disorders and disordered eating, it can get very frustrating. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen that in, in the families that we support. So I think that all that we've talked about today, it's really, really great information. It's rich information. I'm hopeful that the listeners are taking some notes and maybe finding out some things that they didn't previously know. I want to reach out to others and say, if you have any questions, please contact us at eatingdisordercoaching at gmail.com. And Uh, I just want us to let everyone know again that the Eating Disorder Caregiver Coaching Group, it's a virtual eight-session online group for parents or caregivers living with an eating disorder or who have disordered eating. This group is offered completely online and is offered to anyone within Canada and the U.S. Our group aims to provide support and education, much like we're doing here, but in more in-depth, to caregivers to help increase practical understanding of eating disorders as well as provide strategies and skills to help you manage daily struggles and help your loved ones towards recovery. The coaching group was created from a foundation based on family-based treatment or the Maudsley approach as it is known, a well-known and effective treatment approach. To learn more, you can check out my website at julieclarktherapy.com and you'll see a link there for uh, eating disorder caregiver coaching group or you can email eatingdisordercoaching at gmail.com this program is a fee-based service and is not covered by provincial health care plans. And please note this podcast is intended to provide information only and is not intended to substitute health care advice or treatment from your health care provider. If you are concerned about yourself or a loved one who is struggling with a mental illness, please reach out and talk to someone.